Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, I want to talk to you today about fueled by the triune God from John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. And I want to begin with an illustration that I'm going to kind of use to prevail throughout the message, if you will. It's the illustration of the three essential elements of fire. Now this seems maybe obvious to some of you, but I I want to use these three essential elements. The first essential element is you have to have a burning agent, something to burn in the fire. This is wood. Pretty simple, right? That's the way it rolls with me. I don't get too complex. You have to have a burning agent. Second of all, you have to have a spark or an ember. And so, because I like to play with toys, and I'm a gadget kind of person, I brought a ferro rod to remind us of, and I hope that the smoke alarm doesn't go off because it's ear piercing, of the spark or the ember. And the third component is air or oxygen. And if you have any two of the three, you will not get fire. But if you have all three, you will have fire. Now I want you to hold that for a minute as an idea and a concept because I'm going to use those three elements to help grasp the bigger picture of today's message as we work through the passage. But for now, let's go to John chapter 14. And I'm going to begin in verse 15 and read through the end of the chapter. John begins in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. 
I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. May God bless the reading, the hearing, and the understanding of his word today. A little bit of context on where we're at in this chapter, okay? Beginning with uh, chapter 13, Jesus takes a very intentional turn from teaching the masses and the crowds to talking specifically to his 12 disciples. These are very intimate conversations and very pointed teachings of Jesus. Jesus knows that he will die in the next few days. His disciples do not know that. He's trying to prepare them for what life looks like without his physical presence and understanding that yet even though he's not physically with them, he is still with them. And so that's what he's teaching us here. And he's preparing his disciples. And he wants them to understand how it is he will continue to work in the world, specifically in their life. And so he teaches them to continue to believe and to live in his kingdom mission. And living in his kingdom mission begins with personal obedience. In other words, while Jesus walked on the face of the earth with them, what they heard him say, they went and did because they were following him as their Lord, as their rabbi, their master. And he's saying to them, I want you to continue to do that even though my physical presence won't be with you in the world. And we remember from the beginning of chapter 14, he begins in this way, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. And what he's telling them is this, That what God provides for us in this life is greater to strengthen our heart than any trouble that the world may throw at it or fill it with. And if we will believe such that we trust in Him, He will prove sufficient as our source of life in the face of all of the heart's troubles. Such that He repeats this about midway through our passage even today. Friends, the things in this world that trouble the heart should not stop Christ followers from serving Him. For when we believe, it is our response to all the heart's troubles because Jesus is the heart's strength at all times and in all situations. Friends, the work that Jesus does in you is the work that God wants to do through you in the world. I can't say this enough. I can't remind us of this enough because what Jesus is doing in us isn't in some way completely separate from everything else he's doing in the world. His redemptive work in the way that he is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus Christ starts in the life of a Christ follower for us. And as he works in us, He works through us to bring about His will in the world. He ended the last passage in verse 14. So the first 14 verses of this passage. And we have to remember that this really isn't broken up the way we're breaking it up. We're doing that for time's sake. I mean, I could preach eight straight hours, but I don't know that we'd be able to pull off three services, you know. I guess technically 24 hours in a day, we could do that. But as we break it up, let's not lose the continuity of what he's saying here and and how it is that that helps us. He says this in verse 14, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's just an almost unbelievable promise. 
I mean, obviously it's hyperbole. Jesus is overstating it for the point of emphasis. But in fact, that's not what he's doing at all. He's telling us how he wants to work in us so he can work through us. And today, he unpacks this promise with how. How will Jesus work in us so he can work through us in the world? And that's what he's teaching. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. That the Christian life is fueled by the triune God to display his love for all to hear and believe. The Christian life is fueled by the triune God, the God in three persons, to display his love for all to hear and believe. And as I use that word triune, it, it reminds me to, to just point out that John in his gospel account is introducing the third person of the Trinity to us. So in other words, he's formulating our doctrine of the Trinitarian nature of the living God. And you know, the doctrine of the Trinity is one of the hardest, if not the hardest doctrine to teach and to fully explain because there's no real illustration that encompasses the magnitude of it. And I, I think that's obvious because there's just no way to fully comprehend God. There is no box that holds God in this world, right? Not mine and not yours, even though we try to at times, do we not? But I do think it's important for us to understand that Jesus introduces the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and teaches on the Trinitarian nature of God in the context of teaching his disciples how it is that they will live on mission in this world. When you take doctrine out of the context of missional application or shall we say personal obedience and its application, it becomes very cold. It becomes theoretical in its nature. But what Jesus says is, look, I'm teaching you this stuff on the fly because it matters for how you live. And what he wants us to understand is the importance of the Holy Spirit for our daily life in Christ for us. And so my aim is not to try to explain the Trinity in all of its fullness and nuances today, but rather to explain how it is that the Spirit of God comes alongside to complete the third person of the Godhead to fuel our life. Listen, all of God, all of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are working for your salvation. That's what Jesus is teaching here. And that's what we need to understand today. And so I want to outline my sermon today with the main components of Jesus' teaching as they parallel alongside, you might guess, the essential elements of fire. Hopefully to simplify the teaching for our understanding. What I want you to see is that Christians live fueled by the triune God through three essential elements that I'll point out. And then I'll end this, uh, the message very briefly with four encouragements to walk away with for today. Let's look at these three essential elements. The first one is this. Obedience is the burning agent of the Christian's life in Jesus. Obedience to Jesus Christ, to his word, to his commands, is the burning agent of the Christian's life in Jesus. When Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit to his disciples, he builds on what he's already been teaching 
about his word, about uh, everything that he's done and what it means to love God. And so he's, he's, uh, 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 he's building on this presupposition that loving him means keeping his commandments. You see, he explains the how of how the Holy Spirit works in the Christ follower's life in relationship to obedience or to his mission in the world. And friends, there's no biblical concept of acceptance for Christians who live in willful disobedience. We we need to understand this from this presupposition that that Jesus teaches from. This, this, hey, I've already taught you this. And and the the disciples would have never thought, well, you know, I don't don't necessarily agree with what he says there. And I don't like it, don't feel good about it, so I'm just not going to do it. The Bible never embraces that as a concept that is in any way acceptable for the believer. We receive God's word as truth and as life. And then by faith, we live in it to obey. You see, obedience is the sole priority for a Christ follower. Jesus defines love as how? As a verb, as an action, not a feeling. Though love is, as an action is not without emotion or feeling, but it's not fully culminated in only an emotion. Rather, love is what you do. Here's what he says. He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll think. If you love me, you'll feel. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John later affirms this in his letter, 1 John chapter 2. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read verses 3 through 6. Listen to how John unpacks this again and more in his letter. By this we know that we have come to know him, speaking of Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And how did Jesus walk? In perfect obedience to the Father. You see that word for keep that he uses in the Gospel of John is the same Greek word that he uses in the letter as he writes again. And that word means to conform or to observe one's actions or practice accordingly. The New International Version, if you are reading from that version, it will actually use the word obey instead of the word keep. You see, friends, the chief end, the ultimate purpose of our life is to bring glory to God and to enjoy Him forever. The very reason that God created you physically is to know Him. He created people in a way that He didn't create anything else. He created us in His image. Our lives are purposed for a personal relationship with God. And if our chief end, as it is, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, then that makes obedience our chief aim or our sole priority in life. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. And of course, knowing Jesus' commands, as we all know, are not the same as keeping them, right? Just because you know something doesn't mean you do it, right? And what Jesus is doing is he distinguishes between only knowing and feeling his commands by identifying obedience as the distinctive trait of his true followers. Obedience as the Christ follower's chief aim or shall we say our sole priority is the only way to show God 
that we love him and that his glory is our chief end. In other words, let me say this. Obedience demonstrates our love for Jesus. You don't love Jesus if you don't keep his commands. And, and let me clarify this, because a lot of times when we hear this word obedience, and in our individualistic nature and in, in, in our culture many times today, obedience is a very bad word. It's got negative connotations to it, especially when you're talking Christianity. We talk about heavy-handedness and God being angry at you and those kinds of things. He's just thumbing me down or whatever the case may be. Our obedience doesn't merit something from God. That's not what John is saying here. It's not what Jesus is teaching. But what Jesus is saying to us in this first presupposition of of laying the foundation that obedience to God and to his word is what it means to know him, he's telling us that love begets love. In other words, because we've been loved by God, we can love God by obedience. You see, what Jesus does is he tells us that obedience and love for God are not two separate or distinct concepts, but are one in the same. To love God is to obey, and to obey is to love him. Loving God by obedience demonstrates that one is truly received and is living in God's love. That's what he's telling us in these verses. And so Jesus emphasizes the obedience as a Christ follower's priority in life. Four times in ten verses, he tells us that this is the way we show that we love God and that we have received God's love. And here it is that we discover the greatest challenge in life. It's that challenge that nobody uh, is surprised by me mentioning because when we talk about obedience we immediately recognize what it is we haven't done, what it is we feel like we can't do, and what it is we feel like we keep doing that we can't stop doing, right? What is that? Well, Paul talks about the struggle with sin, the war of the flesh. We'll revisit it in a little bit. But our greatest challenge is obedience. So why is obedience our chief aim or our sole priority in life if it is simultaneously our greatest challenge? Because remember, Jesus is teaching something to the disciples here about what is about to happen in a few days when he's crucified and then when he comes out of the tomb. You and I have a distinct advantage to look back through the light of the empty tomb in a full understanding of the cross and to hear his teaching in a new way. What he was saying to the disciples, they would have to remember it and then see it unpacked on the other side. Jesus is teaching us about the application of his crucifixion for our lives, not the goal of our accomplishment for him. Friends, obeying God is not about what you can do for him. It's about what he's already done for you. And until you see obedience to Christ and his commands and to his words in this way, it will always be a heavy-handed condemnation on you. But when you begin to see that obedience to the Word of God is the very reason that Christ died on the cross and is the very life that He has put within us, it changes the whole way that we hear and receive the Word of God. And that's what Jesus is explaining here and wants us to receive. 
Obedience to Jesus is not contingent only upon self, but is only and always by faith in him. Why? Because he lived a perfect life. He suffered in every way that we suffered, Hebrews tells us. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet he was without sin, it tells us. He lived a perfect life, the life we could never live. So that when he died a perfectly innocent death, wrongly condemned and crucified, we who deserve to die could by faith die in his death and not have to die for our own, which would have been a useless exercise anyway, and receive the life that only he gives. Obedience to Jesus' commands are the Christian's priority, the distinct action that demonstrates love for God by recognizing God's love for us. Now, as Christ followers believe to love and trust Jesus, we, we live increasingly in his power over sin. And that's a reality that comes more and more to our life. The eternal truth is that sin has no hold over us. O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? Paul says in, Second, in 1 Corinthians 15, it just it has nothing over us. But the reality in our life today, before uh, eternity is ushered in, it's that we continue to wrestle with sin and the reality of that. And he doesn't overlook that, but rather he leads us into that. But what we see is when we live by faith in Christ, his life in us becomes that burning agent of glory in living for Jesus Christ. But not to jump ahead too fast, let's consider what it is that we are to obey. And this is the second essential element that I want us to see today. It is the Word of God is the spark of His truth in us. The Word of God is the spark of His truth in us. It may be a spark as it comes. It may be an ember that has been placed some time ago. But friends, the work of God from all eternity past is carried forth by the Word of God. This is so important for us to understand. In the beginning, Genesis tells us that God created how? By His Word. He spoke. For the Spirit of God hovered over the formless void. Absolute chaos is what it was. Nothingness is what Genesis tells us. And when he acted, he acted by speaking. And that which was nothing became something. That which was formless void all of a sudden turned chaos into order and created from nothing, it tells us. And then in John chapter 1, it tells us that when Jesus came, he became God with flesh, the living word incarnate to us. And here he is teaching us that God the Spirit will illumine. He'll turn the light on for us and apply the word by the conviction that he brings in our life for a Christ follower. And so we see that the work of God is carried forth by the word of God. The role of God's word in us becomes that second presupposition Jesus uses in his teaching. Throughout the gospel of John, Jesus has said this, the words that I tell you are not my own words. 
I don't speak on my own authority, but I say only what the Father tells me to say and what I hear him say and how he tells me to say it. And so he's teaching them that he and the Father are one, the first two persons of the Trinity, and that their work is one, completely and perfectly united. And so as Jesus is teaching them, he's introducing to them the Spirit who will come and the role that God's Word will play in the work of God in our life. Now let's, let's talk about God's Word for just a moment and understand how it is that His Word has come to us. From the very beginning, God spoke to men. And we have no reason to believe that it was not an audible voice as you hear my voice today. But fast forward a little bit and God began to speak to some men whom we know as prophets who would then in turn speak to the people. For instance, Moses, known as the greatest prophet of all, who would meet with God, hear from God, and then would come and deliver the word of God to the people. And we understand that the prophets of old spoke as thus saith the Lord, or they were speaking directly the words of God. Now, that's distinct from the way pastors teach or preachers preach today. We we don't speak, thus saith the Lord. We speak, thus said the Lord, or we ought to. And if they speak some other way, you shouldn't listen to them. But I'll get on that another time. And the prophets were recorded basically in what we understand as the Old Testament today. But when John opens his gospel account, he introduces Jesus as the word that took on flesh. And so we have Jesus' life and his teaching that form for us the perfect revelation of God's word. That show us what the law in written form was imperfect to completely communicate to us. Jesus showed us what truth and love together perfectly look like. And so this truth that the New Testament writers record, the Bible tells us they were carried along by the Holy Spirit to record the things that are now captured as God's Word. Jesus teaches that He is God and that His words are God's words to us. Not only should we understand how God's Word comes to us, we need to understand the role that God's Word in His redemptive plan plays for us. And that's what Jesus is teaching us today. When I say that this is the second presupposition upon which He teaches, He's explaining that God's Word has come and how it is that the Word of God continues to work as God works through the Word. He refers to His words and His commands as that which Christ followers keep or obey. And when he introduces the Spirit in verse 17, he says this, it is the Spirit, and look how he qualifies the Spirit, it's the Spirit of truth. And so it's not just a Spirit that's come to do his own thing, but rather it is the Spirit who is qualified only and always by the truth or by the Word of God. See, Christ followers obey and there are, excuse me, Christ followers' obedience and the Spirit's work are always directed to God's Word in order to accomplish His purposes. You know, every significant attack against the Christian faith that's come in our lifetime and even before has principally been leveled against the validity of God's Word, against its value for our life, for faith, for practice, and in every way. Why? Why? Because this right here, friends, 
Because Jesus said the work of God will come into the world to bring the will of God about through the word of God that is living and active. That is eternal. Everything we know and we understand about God's word is contained in Jesus' teaching regarding his commandments or his word. Here's what we're told. Just as I walk through some of these verses we've read, we're told that we should keep his commandments, verse 15, that we possess his commandments as Christians, verse 21, that keeping his word manifests his abiding presence within us, verse 23, and, and that it in fact is not just hollow words but it is God's word God speaking to us verse 24 and then he spoke with these things and and uh, uh, he spoke these things while his disciples uh, were with him so he could tell them that this is the very word that the spirit will continue to remind you of and to teach you of when he has gone physically from them and Jesus even tells them this verse 28 that the word will be sufficient by the spirit's work to sustain them in the midst of the hardest teachings and bring joy to them in the midst of that. What was the hardest teaching? I'm leaving. <laughs> That's what Jesus was telling them. And that it was very difficult for them to understand. But he told them this so that when it happened, they could believe. And for us, we can look back on it and see how Jesus gave them that warning and that early teaching. How it actually happened as Jesus said. And since it has come about, not only could they believe, but we could believe in it as well in the same way. Jesus teaches them to remember and to trust his word even when he's no longer physically with them. That he would not leave them but he would remain with them. You see, friends, when we are looking at the role of God's word, Christ followers obey Jesus' commands because he speaks to obey and demonstrate the Father's perfect love. Our obedience of Jesus is a reflection of Jesus' perfect obedience of the Father. It tells us what? What? I mean, you're going through all this, Pastor. What are you saying? I'm simply saying this. All of God, all of God, is working for your salvation, is active in your obedience. There's not any part of God that he has held back from us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are unleashing all of themselves in love, in truth, and in power that we might live in perfect unity, in harmony, and in oneness in his love with God. That's what Jesus wants us to get from them. Listen, friends, believe to trust and obey, as Jesus is telling us here, always burns from the spark and from the ember of God's word in the Christ follower. You will not obey God if the word is not in you. You will not trust God if the word is not being sparked, if that ember is not resting within you. Why? Because it is essential for the work of God to bring about the will of God in this world. Obeying Jesus' commands, it proves a great challenge as I've already recognized and one that we can't accomplish alone. The law tells us to do this, don't do that, do that, don't do this. And we look at that and read it and we go, what in the world? And this does not catch God by surprise. The very purpose of the law was to demonstrate for us how we could not accomplish it 
in our own lives. And the frustration of trying to obey can leave us feeling isolated, can leave us feeling alone and even abandoned by God. But when Jesus teaches obedience, he doesn't teach obedience as something that leads us to abandonment, to isolation or aloneness. He says what? When you keep my commandments, the fullness of God is present in your life. Then how is the reality How is the reality of what Jesus is saying to us aligned with the greatest challenge of obeying him? That's where it brings us. Why doesn't Jesus teach it with the burning condemnation that it seems to bring so often in our life? And he begins the very next verse, how? With a promise. Here's why. He wants us to remember that living in his love is not about what we can do for God. But living in God's love, and I've already said this, but I want to remind you, which is synonymous with what? Keeping His commands. Living in God's love and keeping His commands are the same. Okay? You understand that's what Jesus is saying here? It's not about what we can do for God, but it's always about what He has done for us and what he is doing in us. There's a radical reorientation of our understanding of this word obedience here, friends. Jesus reveals himself as sufficient for all obedience by his word and now through the Holy Spirit. And that leads us to the question, how then is this possible? And here's where we see the third element of a life that is fueled by the triune God. The Holy Spirit of God is the oxygen of His abiding presence within us. It doesn't matter how much of an agent you have to burn. It doesn't even matter how much spark or ember you can produce. If there is no air, there will be no fire. And the Spirit of God is the air, the oxygen that stokes into flame the presence of God in our life. Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit by qualifying his role. How? To the word of truth. His description connects the work of the Spirit with the work that he's already been doing in the world. In other words, the Spirit's not going to come and do something separate from Jesus or from God. He's going to act and work in accordance to what Jesus has begun and completed. The Holy Spirit's role and His work always aligns, friends, with the present and the work that is articulated in God's Word. Don't miss this because there are plenty living wrongly in accordance to this today as if the Holy Spirit comes and does what he wants because he's God that is not in accordance to God's will expressed in God's word the Holy Spirit breathes on the word of God that is embered or sparked within us to inflame the eternal truth of his word the life giving power of it in the life of a Christ follower. Look, look, how, look how the Holy Spirit breathes on the life of a Christian in order to bring about the ember or the spark of God's word into a full flame. 
He uses a word there in verse 15. He says, or 16, excuse me. I will ask the Father and he will give you another what? Helper. If you look in your footnotes, you'll find that the word he uses there for helper is correctly and adequately uh, articulated and translated with four different words. Helper, counselor, advocate, and comforter. These are all accurate and appropriate applications of this translation here. Let me just think about this for a moment. As the Spirit of God moves, as the Spirit of God works into your life, He helps us first and foremost. His help is the power of God, is to bring the power of God's Word to its full, to its precise, and to its perfect measure in our life. Man, I wish I could speak as God for you. Not because I want to be, well, we all want to be a little bit of God. That's the essence of sin, right? But that's not my point. My point is this. That, that, that if I could make perfect applications and, and with precision point it to the, the areas of your life, of your thinking, of your feeling that are misaligned with the truth of God's word when we're struggling for obedience, that would be one thing. But that's not my job. That's not my role. My role is to present the Word of God and to explain it as it is given to us. And then the Holy Spirit that blows across our life takes the ember and the spark of God's Word in the heart and He brings to full measure the power of it. That's why you sit in a service and and someone you've never met before can be sharing the Word and it feels like you're speaking directly to you. That's the Spirit of God working in your life. And as you hear the Word taught, it's being applied specifically to an area to a situation to a circumstance to a pattern of thinking to a relationship in your life you're going how does that know about what's going on in my life i'm telling you that's the spirit of god blowing across to help you understand how the living word of god is going to be stoked to inflame in your heart and in your life and he brings it to a full and to a precise and to a perfect measure not only to show you where you are out of God's will, but to bring you into a path to walk in God's will and to make a way to get from point A to point B to stop following self and start walking with Christ. That's the helper who he has sent to be with us. He's also an advocate for us. What do we need an advocate for? Because we've got an accuser who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, Peter tells us. And he accuses us with his lies. And when the Spirit blows across the Word of God living within us, and he stokes to to aflame that Word, when that lie comes, we go, that's not true. God's Word says this. And when he condemns us, we go, that's not true. God's word says. And when he deceives us, we understand that's not true. God's word says. And when his schemes come to us and they tell us this relationship in this way and in this manner in this time will bring a greater pleasure to you, this path will provide for you something that you want, that you most desire, this is a better way than God's way. God didn't know completely what he was talking about. God didn't want you to know everything that he was trying to say at that time. God had some other agenda than your good and his glory in this moment. You can follow me. You go, that's not true 
The Spirit of God blows across the Word of God in your heart and says, God, all of God is working for you. He is willing and he has worded his way, his perfect, glorious peace and joy and love to pour it into your heart. The Spirit blows across the spark of God's Word to stoke into an eternal flame the work of God that brings joy and peace and love and hope to us when there is none in this world. He is the counselor. God, I don't know what to do. Every time it comes up, this is where I end up. This is a situation I don't see any way through. This is a decision I I don't feel like I can make. What in the world is going to happen, God? Spirit blows over our life. And he stokes the spark and the ember of God's word that is in us. He uncovers our life where where we've covered it up. You ever had at burn leaves? South Arkansas, that was called fall for us. You stack them up and throw a match and let them burn. And it would seem as though the pile was almost burned out until you would rake it open. And there would be embers that would catch the wind that would blow across them. And all of a sudden, woof, they would go right back into flames. God, help me. The counselor comes to bring wisdom and truth to a perfect and full application of your life. And the comforter. The comforter reminds us of Jesus' work and his teaching in us. Why do we need a comforter? Because we need to be comforted when we've got the biggest trouble of our life. And what's the biggest trouble of our life? Perfect obedience. Sin. Sin. He says, look, just remember, you need to trust Jesus in what he says because this is not about what you can do for God. You need to be reminded this is about what God has already done for you. And when you walk with him, You're walking by faith in the light and the hope and the truth of what he has for you. Holy Spirit, blow over our lives. Be to us who you are, who God is, and fan to a full flame within us what God has said that we might walk with him. The Holy Spirit confirms that we know God because he dwells within us. And he is our guarantee that God is for us, not against us. And that he will send Jesus to get us in the end. All of the Holy Spirit's work stokes to inflame the fullness of God's word within the Christ follower's life. He is the helper for the Christian life. This wasn't an afterthought, friends. For the prophet Ezekiel tells us in chapter 36, verse 26... That the promise of God's covenant was always this. I will take your heart of stone that wants nothing to do with me. And I will crush it and remove it and give you a heart of flesh to know me. And in that heart, I will place my spirit within you. I'm with you because I'm for you. And because I'm for you, you can know I've done. Therefore, you can do. I love you. Live And walk in my love. There is no life with God absent of the Holy Spirit. Paul in Galatians 5. I don't want you to turn there. But I I just want to remind you of it. 
Paul in Galatians 5, Galatians 5 tells us about this. He says, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another. You see why we need an advocate? Because there is a war for obedience raging in the heart of every Christian. And the war for obedience is the war between God's Spirit living within and our flesh trying to rule something they call life, but that is not life. You see, without the Holy Spirit, there's no war because all the desires and the wants come from the flesh. But when the Spirit of God inhabits the heart of man, a war breaks out. Because one has been dethroned as Christ is enthroned within us. And yes, all hell breaks loose. You know why? Because it's being fractured to be destroyed and dismissed. The Spirit-led life, friends, is not free from obeying God's commands. That's what Paul tells us in Galatians 5.18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What does that mean? What is Paul saying by the word law there? He's saying this, you're not under the curse of the law. In other words, the law says do this or die, basically, right? Paul says you're not under that curse anymore. Death does not rule you because life has inhabited you. Neither are you under the demand of the law. The weight, the condemnation that it brings when we know we disobey. What are we now in? The Spirit. The Spirit lives within us. And instead of condemnation that crushes us, we have conviction that turns us through repentance to walk in life. That's what we're being told. That's what we're being taught through the words of Jesus here. The Holy Spirit transforms the Christ followers' wants and desires to see Jesus' commands not as drudgery or condemning, but as lovable and as a delight for us. We understand God loves us because of Jesus Christ and what he commands of us is because of that love. When the Holy Spirit leads our life, Jesus' peace prevails in our life. Look what he says, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. How does the world give peace? It removes everything that is tumultuous, right? How does Jesus give peace? He just shows up. He just shows up. The Spirit of God blows across the Word of God and we remember what God and Christ Jesus has done for us and what that means to us and how it is it's working in us and how it is He wants to work through us. Peace. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, He said. Because there's nothing in this world that can conquer the work of God in you. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing as he breathes upon your life. The spiritless life is always noticeable by the absence of Jesus' peace. But here's a truth that holds us, Christian. Verse 17. You know him for he dwells with you and he is in you. 
The presence of God's Word and God's Spirit confirms that God Himself fills the Christian's life. For the Spirit is sufficient to empower the Christ follower to live in obedience to Jesus. And here we have the three essential elements of the Christian life. The Holy Spirit that is the oxygen, the air of God's abiding presence within us. The life that Jesus gives to us, a life of obedience, which is the burning agent in each Christian. And the Word of God that is that spark, that ember that remains within us. And you say, but pastor, if God burns us, won't we burn up? No. No, sin will burn you up because it condemns. But listen, friends, God who breathes life into our body inhabits by the Holy Spirit to fuel his eternal life within us. You see, obedience to Jesus, which is that burning agent and is our chief aim, our sole priority, it burns in a Christian's life like the bush burned when Moses encountered God. It burned, but it was not consumed. You see, the flame of God's glory is not a flame that will be extinguished. It is eternal. Obedience burns the Christian's life To consume the dross that is within and refine what is precious and eternally glorious unto God. Let me conclude in this way. For the Christian life is fueled by the triune God to display his love for all to hear and believe. I want to offer four encouragements for you to walk away with today. To live fueled by the triune God. Number one. Set obedience to Jesus' commands as your chief aim, your sole priority in life. If God's word says it, that's what I want to be in my life. Number two, spark the word of God continually over your life. Be in it daily until it gets into you continually. Always have a word of God that you can hold on to and that you can let spark within you. Number three, ask the Holy Spirit to blow on the ember of God's word within you for help, for advocacy, for counsel, and for comfort. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, help me. I need your help. Number four, live toward the peace of life that only prevails by God's presence. Do not rest Until the peace of God through Jesus Christ is the prevailing reality in your heart and in your mind. Regardless of what the situation or the circumstances that surround you says. And then repeat. Repeat. Do it again. Do it again. Repeat daily. Repeat regularly. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Let's pray.